Hi, I'm Sean. I'm Renee. This is Hope in Crisis, a podcast series about rights and democracy and how technology enables or disables it. To Hoping Crisis, this podcast is produced by Girls in Tech Taiwan and Bitmark together. Today, we have some news from Bitmark. We are hiring, so we're looking for developers, primarily backend developers, and we're building a new microservice architecture for Bitcoin full nodes. If you're good at GoLang, if you like Kubernetes, I think this is probably the most exciting project you can work on. So please,、uh, in the show notes, we'll leave more information. We'd love for you to reach out. We're happy to share more information,、uh, job specs, project specs.、Uh, please reach out. We're really looking for people. You can work remote. Asia. If you work in Asia, it's nice because of the time zone. But we're okay anywhere in the world. That's really exciting. And today we have a very exciting speaker too. I'm personally a fan, and、uh, <laughs> he's a serial <laughs> entrepreneur. And it just so happens that he's also a Taurus. I I have a bunch of my favorite、um, entrepreneurs in Taiwan, and I was really really excited to find out that、um, they were all born in late April till. Early May. I'm usually not superstitious, but I'm really happy that I belong to a nice batch of entrepreneurs. So today we are talking to Michael. Michael Zhou is the founder of Daodu Tech, a subscription newsletter in traditional Chinese about technology and its impact. And it is now the most trusted tech analysis in Taiwan. Before starting Daodu Tech, Michael served as an attorney at Hari LLP, a former antitrust, global litigation, and intellectual property law firm. We're going to hear him out. Hi, my name is Michael Chow. I think the biggest crisis human beings faced is the fact that we are now connected to the whole world, but human is not biologically suited to be connected to the whole world, and so we're still adapting to that. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So、um, right now, what I'm doing is called Daodu Tech. Pudi Daodu, which is a, a media talking about technology and、uh, trends in business. And before that, I was actually an attorney in the United States. I work in patent and、uh, mostly patent litigation, actually.、Um, and then a little bit before that, I was actually a biological science scientist. It, because in college, my major was zoology, and I did zoology. A, yeah, so it's animals, science, and all that. And I didn't. Can I stop?、Yeah. This, I, this, knew this a, <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. That is a really interesting background. So, okay, you have to connect this for me. How did you go from zoology、right. to engineering to and law? And I have to apologize for him. Before <laughs> you came here, I asked him that. Oh, do you know that he has a multiple diversified background?、Right. And then he said, "No idea," because he's taking care of his newborn. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been sort of、uh, waking up every couple of hours. No, so, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. Right.、Um, right. Yeah, sure. So, well, basically. I majored in zoology because at that time, you know, students in Taiwan they take the test, the national test, and then they go choose their major based on the scores, not really based on their interest, at least at my times. And that was the highest、um, major, I guess, at that time, the the most、uh, in demand major at that time. Zoology was、yeah. in demand. 
because biological science was very uh, in trend at that time because okay. it was a genome project. You know, we just um, so there was a, like a push in Taiwan to develop their uh, biological um, industry. So I was drawn to that, even though I don't have no clue about what I really want to do and what what is biology about. And then I did fairly well, but I and I so I got a, a master's degree in UC Irvine after my zoology major. But then at so when I was doing my master's degree, I, you know, deeply r- recognized that this is not for me. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like it that much. Um, what I, did you not like about it? So there, I had to kill a lot of mouse. I have to do a lot of experiments, and it's very repetitive and it's also very isolated lifestyle because I'm working in the lab, you know, in the, in the lab coats and doing all that. And I, I is I, there I, any way for your um, classmates or your peers to work in a zoo instead? <laughs> there, there's, yeah, there's that spectrum of, of zoology students. You can go to work in the forest. You can go yeah. to the in the zoos. That's probably more fun, I guess. I'm not sure. And I was doing the molecular, you know, science, the molecular biology, you know, biochemistry, research? testing on the labs. Yeah, testing, uh, on labs. testing on the rats right. and the mice. Yeah, those are the you know the sort of the the latest technology that. So it sounds more interesting. I like it too. I like the knowledge of that, but I just didn't really like my work how the job is. So at that time, I dropped out and start start to really actually looking into what I really want to do. And that's the time when I uh, approached law because I was doing patent application. That was an easy job to get if you have a, you know, science a technical degree, background. A technical right? background, yeah. Ah. So, uh, and so when I was doing patent applications, I started to have a feeling of for the technology and also for the law. So that's how I... Uh, later turn into going to get a law degree in the United States and start. What school did you go to? I went to George Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was fun. That was uh, the, to do a Juris Doctor degree. I, know, I, I, I think your father was a lawyer too. My dad was a lawyer, yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, so I was, do, I was a litigator, okay. which is not very fun for who speaks English in a second language and trying to litigate in the United States about patents. But... Uh, it was exciting, sort of, you know, have to objection and all that, writing briefs and all that. Um, so that's, that is sort of uh, my real training. Um, and then later when I came back to Taiwan, I started working in Quanta Computer. I'm not sure you know, it's an OEM. Yeah. It's, a, it's a contract manufacturer for laptops. Um, so I serve as their legal, in-house legal, and I worked with a lot of contracts with all the major technology companies. And so that's uh, when I started to have uh, interest in startups. So I later I quit that job and start begin my startup career and you know get to here where I am right now. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. Right. So back in the U.S. when you were at George Washington, yeah, and then you went from there and you started litigating. Do you remember some of the things you were litigating, like some of the patents? Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, we were. I think um, because I was so junior mm-hmm. at that time, so we really get to work on the case, but don't you, you don't really get to sort of present in the court. Um, so I was working on the background for all the research. Like we did, so there's like a coding patent for airplane. Like you have to code the outside of it um, using epoxy and all that. So you just have to study the chemistry and then sort of dig out all the patent. We call it prior arts. Yeah. And then compare it and all that. Um, there's a, there's sort of like um, optical patents we have to do involving the light bulb. And there's like a printer patent. So you get to 
It was it, very broad. Like you, you weren't focused on one specific area. It was just like no, it's not. It's it's uh, it's whatever the partner needs you. Yeah. And whatever their clients wants to do, they ask for you. So and it's 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 still sixty or seventy percent. It's the law, and it's forty. How did you get that job? Like, yeah. like I mean, so your background was in you know dissecting mice, and then you <laughs> went to this like like, how does that work? That's such an awesome jump. Yeah, it's it's um I think in law school you have this we call it one L, two L, three L. This is first year of law school, second year. You have to find an internship that's the uh in the summer vacation, that's the whole deal. If you find a good internship uh, in a law firm and you impress them enough, they will hire you after you graduate. So I apparently I did a good job enough I um, see. at the internship. And I also interned at s- couple government agencies at that time that involves trade. And and so, and part of it is also because I can speak Chinese, and they are interested in, in that market. And I sort of um, show behave uh, well in front of you know potential clients and all that. So it's a multiple of factors that they I think at the end they they think this guy is going to help our firm. So I got the job. <laughs> that's really wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I I would say that sort of established my interest in. Presenting and convincing people. So uh, later, when I start up, I did this is a media because right now my my the the thing I do to do is it's actually a newsletter. So that helps a lot of you know how to understanding how to present and and sort of uh, make things understandable to to the general public, like like to the juror in in a, in a litigation. And can you take us back to when you first started this newsletter? Like what? What did you feel that you were going to contribute? Like, what voice was missing? You felt? Yeah. So when I first started up, that's actually twenty twelve. So um, <clears throat> this was before Kaji uh, Daodu. This is even before that. And at that, that time, there was a trend of starting up because uh, the app economy was exploding because the cell phone is uh, the smartphone is actually. Um, Broad enough that people are starting to to do a lot of apps. You know, if you know, there's AppWorks, that's the app, so, uh, incubator in Taiwan, was out about the same time. So, and I I I, I found these um, all these business uh, discussions about apps, softwares, internets are very fascinating. But my work when I was working in the Quantai, it's a very traditional. It's all manufacturer. It's all about. Uh, contract manufacturing, so it's all about whatever the client needs. You provide to them, so it's in a sense it's very traditional, and it wasn't doing anything related to the internet or the software. So, and I I thought, and I wanted, and so I enjoyed those discussions, but I didn't see. So I was reading like Gizmodo, like you know TechCrunch, of course, uh, VentureBeat, those kind of things, and I don't see these discussions in Taiwan. So I wanted to create that space that that discussion so that's why i when i started up i started this uh, media was basically we are focusing on the sort of the new business model the new software um all, all the things about that instead of the traditional like how many laptops can you make you know what is yeah what's you know, your bomb what's your bomb yeah, exactly yeah. Uh, what's your you know yeah profit margin yeah. and all that is two percent or three percent yeah. something like that yeah Instead of, um, so we're more interested in like Facebook and Google and all that. So I'm more interested in your business model because obviously you define your business as a software SaaS. <clears throat> and um, for me, I think that you are a full-time writer. Mm. And I'm really curious of how did you find out that you can start a new business 
as a full-time writer and also a full-time translator. Because like you said, that um, in the very beginning of your business, you found out that there was a void in the Chinese reading market and you decided to fill that void. So how did you find out your passion about writing? Because I started reading your articles really, really early. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, you were called Michael Qinghua. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So, so that was a personal blog. So, yeah. I enjoyed. I guess I enjoyed writing when I was since when I was a young age. Uh -huh. And then I started blogging when everybody was blogging, and I, um, and that I kept blogging even though when nobody's blogging anymore, everybody's moving to Facebook. So, I guess I enjoyed that part. And uh, so, when I do did uh, start do my startup, which is uh, it's actually a media start. I, I wouldn't consider ourselves SaaS. Or, mm -hmm. or software. We are we, right now. We're a uh, newsletter, so it's a subscription newsletter. Um, so, and I did that. I guess um, that was probably in 2015 that we decided to start charging for the newsletter. Before that, it was like public. It's like TechCrunch or Gizmodo. Mm -hmm. We were looking at that kind of the advertisement business model. But then we switched to subscription. Um, <clears throat> Because I, I get part of it is because I saw a few examples that worked out. For example, Ben Thompson is pretty famous here. Uh, he was probably half year earlier than I than we were, and we also looked at China first. We had Luo Zhenyu, so they were doing pretty well too. Um, so we see a couple examples here and there. So we, I thought we can do that too, and but it took us. A, it was a lot more difficult for us because we didn't have any payment processor that could do recurring billing and recurring uh, payment at that time because um, so we had to set up, you know, we have to, to use a couple uh, ways to actually get uh, Stripe. To use Stripe in Taiwan, which is not, they were not, it was not promote, pro allowed <laughs> at that it's time. It's still not, right? It's still not allowed. They're, they're yeah. not here yet. So, um, so we, it took uh, some work and some engineering work to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, we thought it was the right idea because what we talk about is not uh, suit suitable for advertisement, right? Because we're talking about business model, we're talking about theories, trends. These they don't match well to any product. Like you can't sell a mobile game ads for with that content. So it's not mass market. So we had to find a way to uh, monetize a niche market. And subscription turned out to be a good match for that. So we, we uh, and we like enjoy the relationship of subscription that we're serving the customers, the readers, and they pay us. That's simple. So we did that, and then yeah, uh, um, all the way until uh, 2017, we changed the name to Kajidado, which is what I'm doing right now. So yeah, so it's not really a software, I wouldn't say, but we talk about software a lot, and it's a subscription media. I've been reading some newsletters and I pay for some of these lately too. And it's just, it feels like there's a renaissance, like in yeah. podcasts, in newsletters, like some of the best things that I, I, I canceled The Economist around two years ago because yeah. I realized that I was getting the stuff I thought was the most valuable from these people. I might as well give them that money. I mean, it's expensive economists, like a hundred something a year. Yeah, I'd rather just give it to people like you. So it's really yeah. neat that, that you guys have been able to create these things and it seems to be working, right? I get your... You're doing okay, right? We're doing, yeah. It's best salary of my life. So that's awesome. Good. Yeah, better than law. 
Uh, yeah, it took a long time to actually exceed my lawyer salary, but it's finally exceeded. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's, very that's something encouraging. that's yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is supposed to be hope and crisis, and the fact that people can create a business by writing something you really love and people are paying、yeah. you for it—that that's just awesome. Yeah, I, I think、that. so. I, I I'm really encouraged myself that, and I hope to see the same thing happen to other people too. That was there a time when you weren't sure? Like, what what was that like? Like, you're you're married, you have kids, right? I'm married and、I、have two kids. Yeah. What did your wife think when you were doing this? She's all she she's supportive all the way. I guess she 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 can feel that I'm you know wanted to、uh, to to explore new things that that I'm not content with what we have right now.、Um, she's been supportive、uh, all the way.、Um, it was but at the first three years because I I said we the website was public was free and we're trying to do the advertisement that was just burning money. We, we yeah. Make、uh, we we were not profitable at all for at least three years, <clears throat> and、uh, luckily I saved money because when I was doing my lawyer and my previous job, that gave me a cushion.、Um, so and I always know that I can go back to be a lawyer. So that's the, mentally I have this、oh. safety net. I think that's important.、Yeah. So you can take risk if、uh, in in that situation.、Um, I think in Taiwan, people are generally very risk averse. Um, but having that degree and that license、um, is sufficient in is Taiwan. Insurance. Yeah,、uh. to 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 you know persuade your parents or whatever that don't worry about me, you know.、Um, and then when we turn to subscription,、uh, everything looks better and more encouraging. So it was it wasn't that scary anymore. It's inspiring to know that you can be a successful writer because usually writers are not considered. As good jobs or better jobs when you are、um, thinking about your future options and translators too, so we don't make a lot of money. So it's great to hear that someone can make a lot of money or create a different business by writing. And and in fact, writing is a oversimplified or understatement of what you're doing. I think you are also doing research, a lot of research and publishing. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I think it's、um, it's it's building something. Yeah, just not. I, I it's probably not the simple、uh, just writing.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually building this whole property or this asset that people trust and they are willing to、um, pay for it.、Mm-hmm. Subscription is essentially is prepaid. It's paying you and then expecting you to, to give them something in return、yeah. in the、uh-huh. future. Yeah. yeah, so it's the most important thing is to have trust that they trust you will have consistency. They have, they trust you have quality. Well, just like why you used to subscribe to the Economist, I used to subscribe to the Economist as well because we trust、um, they will provide us something of value. They still do, but yeah, it's right、great. now it's just competition. The competition is is、uh, more and more.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but、um, if you can't, so so it does take some time to build that trust, and that's why we. Uh, we burn money in the first three years, but we still build trust, even though we burn money because we maintain the quality, and that helps us to、um, be successful later. So, yeah. Cool. So we've got this subscription business model that seems to work. Yeah. Can we talk internet business models? I、right. mean, you seem really interested in monopolies, so maybe that's、right. the, actually the <laughs> is 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 that the way into monopolies? You think or? Sorry. Is that is that the path into monopolies? You think these internet business models? Like, is, that, think, is that the problem? I think the、uh, I think the goal of all 
current Silicon Valley startups is to become a monopoly. I think Peter Thiel actually wrote a book, whole book about it. Is that you know it, he thinks monopoly is good for the society because monopoly uh, can still be over overturned by new monopolies, and then monopoly actually can sponsor research and all that. There's a lot of good things about monopoly. Um, so I think that's the charging. Uh, marching order for the current Silicon Valley startups is to create a monopoly, and also because the internet it it does skew to monopolies because of the network effect. Because winner takes all. Sorry. Winner takes all. Yeah, winner takes all. There are there are these properties um, that tend to skew to monopolies. So um, right now, it's just everyone wants to be, and it's easier to get money if you say that you will be the future monopoly. So yeah, I think and I think that's a very American uh, type view of business is that this is healthy and this is encouraged, and this helps competition. Um, yeah, I think that's what and and we do see it today that there's just monopolies in every business or in every software business. I mean, I always thought that as an American, it started with the rejection of monopolies. Mm. Like the ultimate monopoly was the king, right? That's why we left, right? And there's this tension, like it goes in these cycles where I feel like, I mean, I think you're right. Like American business has this long history of monopolies, but I think American government has kind of shifted back and forth. I mean, would you agree with that? Or are you like, you actually really think, is there something about American uh, either economy or the law that... Right, so... I was writing about the the news that Twitter and Facebook banned Trump's account, okay. and because the, there was a huge, there was a lot of controversy about that. And I was saying that, sure, there is a, the sense that Twitter and Facebook they're taking the government's responsibility. They're 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 censoring speech. You know, they're like the government right now. So that part we think it's wrong because they're not accountable to the public, right? That like Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg, they're not elected. They don't have to go to votes, so they're doing whatever they do. We can't hold them if responsible. So we think that's a problem. We cannot impeach them, or we cannot impeach them, right? But on the other hand, I think it also shows that in at least in the United States, the structure is that government has less power. The private space has a lot of power. Um, it, there is this sort of separation of power um, that's pretty strong. Like so, that's why they can become so powerful. Is that the uh, sort of the U.S. Constitution uh, intentionally tries to withhold the government's power? So, as you say, there is this: uh, we over, the United States overturned the king mm-hmm. and to build up this republic. Uh, on what that also means that they allow more freedom to the business to the person. Um, and I think that's very unique. In every other place, you will see the government has a much stronger power over over everyone, even in Taiwan. Um, and so, so that's both sides of the same thing. That um, yes, it's bad that they are not accountable. But do you want them to be accountable to the government? <laughs> do you want the government to censor speech, or do you like in a, the in a, the United States of view is that we'll I'll allow these media company, publisher company, platform company to compete, and but you get to censor whatever you want. That's sort of the constitution stance, um, and it depends on whether you appreciate that or not. At this moment, I think we we 
we don't like it because of all the uh, chaos that has. Mm. Um, I feel like like there's this confusion, and maybe you can talk to this a bit. That so, I mean, censorship is what a government does. A, a company can't censor. I mean, that's like censorship is suppressing speech, government speech, right? So there's that part, and then these platforms they are um, they are doing this either from their terms of service or they're doing this because of this Section 230, and the Section 230 is like, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a publisher, I'm just a platform, right? But this is completely false. I mean, everything in your Facebook feed is algorithmic. And when I look at Twitter now, it's also algorithmic. And so can you speak to this a bit? Because like there's this, I feel that they are, these tech platforms are perverting the law and they're using the law to give them a monopoly. That it's not the structure of the internet per se or American democracy. It's it's this like perversion of the law that is allowing um, these platforms to amass that power. Yeah. So I I personally think that we can agree two things are both exist. One is that um, this is not censorship because they are not the government. Yeah. Yeah. According to the First Amendment of the yeah. United States Constitution, only the government can 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 violate that, that amendment, yes. exactly. Yeah. Um, at least that's the current uh, the legal pr- uh, understanding. But at the same time, we agree that they have too much power because the problem is they are not accountable, as I say. They're the, the people who are, can sort of shape the public opinions, um, Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, they don't, they're not accountable to anyone. And that is by design. Again, this is by design by the United States Constitution. They wanted to have the, the private entity to have that kind of power. But it's just, uh, again, it's, it's, right now it's a monopoly, at, or we feel that it's a monopoly. And that's why that's the problem. So, um, well, Can we dive into that power for a second? Yeah. Because I'm not sure we both see that power in the same way. Okay. So um, I don't see the power as a constitutional thing. Mm. I see the power as... Um, regulators have come up with this Section 230 nonsense. Mm-hmm. And these companies are hiding behind that. Okay. And so that's nothing to do with constitution to me. It's that, I mean, you got to get those people to fix that damn thing. Okay. So Section 230, um, sort of, we call it safe harbor, right? The safe harbor that basically shields the sort of platform or the forum from liability from whatever the user's uh, speech Right, so if I'm a user of like PTT in Taiwan, I post something that's, you know, that's inside of violence, let's say, and the PTT won't get liable because what I post there. That's basically what Section 230 protects. Um, so there's the there's the view that because uh, they're supposed that these forums supposed to be neutral, mm-hmm. but because of this law, they get to. Uh, basically censor or decide what people see. That's sort of the uh, the idea behind it. But if you take away Section 230, they actually still get to do the same thing because of the First Amendment. Well, but they would be liable for it. They so, will not. <laughs> so like New York Times, for example, um, there's all kinds of libel uh, issues that they would go through because they are responsible for what they publish. They will face litigation. Tons. They will, the litigations yeah. won't be thrown up from the court as fast, yeah. but they still have First Amendment protection. So if they sort of, sorry, for example, if I'm 
Twitter. Okay. There's no Section 230. And uh, I decided to twitch the algorithm so mm -hmm. that anything that supports Trump gets minimal reach, let's say. That is, this is protected by First Amendment. That's just how the, work, the Constitution works. Because your media, your apartment, whatever I get, that's your freedom of speech. You get to choose. Just like New York Times get to choose like if they want to be liberal. Fox News gets to choose if they want to be conservative. They get to choose that. But so, they don't get legislative cover right. if people want to sue them. That's all right. So, so there will be a lot of litigation. Yes. And they're so, going to raise the First Amendment all the time. But that yeah. litigation is a massive forcing factor. That's true. To yes. keeping the publishers, let's say, honest. Right. Yes, I agree. From my perspective. Yeah. It will, it will be a burden <laughs> on them. There's no way they could scale to that level of uh, users to employees if they were held accountable as publishers. Uh, that's right, yeah. Like their so. business model gets destroyed, I think at least, the moment right. that they're, that no, your algorithm is publishing. Yeah, so my... Please push back if you don't agree with that because yeah. I, I feel this is really, people really don't get this. Like they, they're really confused well, at what is Facebook, what is Twitter. They'll have two choices, basically. They'll have two choices. The big platforms still have two choices. One is to not moderate speech at all. That that's and that and that way they're not considered a publisher. This that is this is case. That's law. the true that's two thirty. Before, that's before two thirty. Okay, even happened. okay. Yeah, two thirty was supposed to cure that problem. Yes. Right. So Twitter can actually just say, okay, I give up. I'm not gonna moderate anything. I'm just a platform. I'm just a like an ISP. I'm an ISP. Yeah. Right. So then they cannot charge me for anything. The other way is they're gonna moderate heavily, and that's because they uh, when you moderate heavily, that's your First Amendment speech. Basically, you can. That's because you're going to shape how you're expressing what you feel about things. So that's First Amendment. They can do two things and they're going to be sued a lot, of course. Um, and what that also plays out is that the smaller platform, they're going to be sued to bankruptcy because they don't get protection, just like the Twitter doesn't get protection anymore. But they don't have the money and the human resource to fight. So like Parler or like Gab, you know, we talk about these extreme, we call them extreme right word. Mm -hmm. They have this, all this, I mean, horrible content on them. They're going to be sued left and right. They're going to sue to bankruptcy soon. So, well, okay. I mean, I would really push back on that because yeah. uh, when I grew up with the web, there was all kinds of nonsense on the web, yeah. but nobody got to any sort of scale like Facebook scale. Mm -hmm. So why would you go sue them? Like, what's the motive to go sue somebody that has a thousand readers? Like, who cares? Yeah, that's yeah. So we're all playing out how the future scenarios can could go. Yeah. So, um, so I, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean, though, right? Like, the the ability to kind of bake your cake and eat it too. That hey, we're gonna use the cover of Section Two Thirty, and we're gonna. We're going to insert these algorithms that capture your attention, that make this product unbelievably addictive, that are going to keep you coming back and back and back and back and get bigger and bigger and faster and faster. That it's this, it's this sort of part that's extremely unnatural, that the, that the internet before the social medias didn't have. So to me, the monopoly power of Facebook and YouTube, for that matter, 
comes from their ability to curate, but have the cost structure of a platform. So they can curate like a New York Times with the cost structure of an ISP. That's the part that I feel like that people aren't fixing. Yeah, so, well, well, I guess the more fundamental question is when you have so many content, mm -hmm. how do you like arrange it? How do you decide? How do you prioritize it? Oh, I would say you just can't anymore. Like that's the whole thing is that the only reason they can get so big is because they can't get sued when they get big. Right? Well, so I'm like, not talking about this entity. I'm just talking yeah. about like, let's assume Facebook and Twitter does not exist, yeah. but people have many, many opinions. You know, they want to say something. And I, as a user, I have to filter these, right? I have to prioritize these. How do I do that? <clears throat> well, the moment that I, my guess is that I'm going to try to find a tool that helps me do that. And that tool is going to be de designed by somebody <laughs> and it's going to have an algorithm in it it's gonna try to match my interest, whether that's my true interest or it's a, you know, addiction. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a valid concern, mm -hmm. and that's that's something ha we have to fix. But there, but there has to be some kind of algorithm that's gonna try to filter that for me. I can't read anything or everything. And how are we gonna hold that, you know, responsible? When whoever de designs that entity, like what is that? What is that? What is the legal? responsibility that this person has is if someone wants to design it for me. Okay, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I need an algorithm to help me filter all of the information. Because, for example, I subscribe to tons of uh, channels and newsletters, and I've got like thousands of emails every day, and no one is actually helping me filter the emails. They come at a timely order, and then I decide if I want to read them or not. Of course, Gmail is doing a lot of work helping me sending them to different inboxes, but in general, whatever is sent to my primary, I get to decide if I want to read them or not, and then they are ordered according to the time of the of delivery. So. Um, I've been thinking about this actually. So do you remember that like 10 years ago when we were blogging, you can subscribe to other blogs by using RSS surface. So um, for me, my blog has a very long list of other bloggers that I subscribe to. And then when they publish new stuff, um, the latest title appears on the sidebar of my blog. So I think that's the original or that's the yeah, that, that's the original format of Twitter and Facebook. I think Facebook started as a RSS surface for me. It, it looked mm. like a RSS surface for me. And then um, I want, I'm not sure if I can do this, but I want to go back to 10 minutes ago when mm -hmm. we were talking about how you cannot impeach people like mm. Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Let's the get, discussion. Get into practice, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. The discussion was very fascinating, and uh. I would I didn't want to interrupt, but this just stayed with me along with the discussion. So, technically, uh, the design for private businesses is that you cannot impeach the CEOs, but you can always choose a new surface. For example, people replaced MySpace with Facebook ten years ago, and I've been waiting for a new alternative. I've been waiting for so long for a new Facebook alternative, and there's none. Oh, okay, so there's MeWe, but uh, MeWe sucks. And then, so I've been thinking about how come that it takes so much time for us to see a useful 
workable Facebook alternative, and it's because monopolies kills innovation. So, uh, if we go back to the winner takes all principle, then you'll find out that uh, most people use Facebook, and then most advertisers invest in Facebook. So it's really difficult for a second Facebook to take away all of the users. And um, since we are here to inspire more people to think about this problem and to brainstorm about how we can solve this problem, is there any um, suggestions, comments, insights that you can give on this topic? Right. So I'm not sure that there are not Facebook is a monopoly. Actually, of all the you know the FAAG and all that, I think Facebook has the weakest monopoly. Of all, it's in, and because you have Twitter, you have Instagram, you have YouTube, you have Reddit, you have you know, and you see you see Parler and Gab, they they grow very fast actually. So I'm not sure. I think at the end everybody will have a Facebook account, but that doesn't mean they will spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> like I don't spend much time on Facebook anymore anyway, but I do have an account because everybody has an account. It will become. I think it will become sort of like. A common carrier, or like a pipe, um, it will be ISP sort of service, and I think that's what Facebook wants to be as well. They they're really tired of you know getting, going to the Congress and testifying. <laughs> they don't want to manage all this speech. Just like we don't want them to manage. That. So I think they're moving into like doing the commerce. Uh, they want to do private message, private groups. You know they don't want to be the sort of the public square of speech. Uh, they're not interested at all. Um, so, yeah. So I'm not really sure that um, Facebook's monopoly is that strong, and we also still have, you know, news, you know, televisions, news, whatever websites, media that you can, you know, comment it or just form your own society. Or so, um, yeah. So, so I think Facebook actually, it's 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 yeah. Ha- we have to be caution of. Thinking that this monopoly is forever, right? I don't. Especially in the internet right. uh, business, I, there we've seen very strong companies that uh, do basically disappear, or they change dramatically into a different kind of business. Uh-huh. Um, so, so that's why sometimes I'm sort of more cautious of, of heavy-handing because we see a problem and we try try to go in and fix it directly. Usually, you're may end up with uh, unintended consequences that you didn't foresee. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm really not sure <laughs> to that question. I, um, because I also see in the agenda that we talked about, like there was a question about shouldn't we have a decentralized, right? Shouldn't we have, the, from the blockchain, you have like all kinds of new types of social network. Isn't that, a, isn't that will that be better? Um, I think that they'll, the same question still applies is that the algorithm, like the, all the information, how do you rank them, how do you filter them? I think that question still applies. I think your example, uh, you used RSS before, but RSS reader die because it wasn't, it wasn't actually solving the problem. It just puts them, um, I don't think it solved the question because you say in your email, you have thousands of in, in emails a day. I don't, so I don't think that's a solved problem. I think that's at least to the most the common people, they don't like a thousand emails a day. <laughs> That's a problem. So 
I don't. Yeah, like Gmail, it also scam filters scams for you, right? That's the same as Facebook's filtering things that they it thinks that you're not interested too. I mean, they will say it's the same thing. So there's always a ranking there. There's always an algorithm there. As long as there's more supply than the demand, how do we uh, manage that? Or or if you cannot manage it, how do we make sure who manages is ethical, is accountable, is transparent? I think those are the problems. Okay, I still want to um, understand a bit more about how you see monopolies. Um, so you said you don't think Facebook is a very strong monopoly. What about, say, Google or um, Amazon? Well, I guess let's 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 stick with internet, like pure internet companies. So, do you see Google as a very strong monopoly? Yes, I yeah. think Google is the strongest actually oh. of them. Can can you explain a bit more then, I guess? Because I always thought of Facebook as just an unbelievable monopoly. Like they have the social graph. And well, it's then, incredibly hard to to kind of get that out of them. And but don't you see, don't you see, I mean, what I see yeah. is that people are leaving Facebook. They're, they, the account is still there, but they're just not posting. My, my well, they're leaving Facebook for Instagram. Or right? maybe maybe that, yeah. But, Which is still Facebook. But my Facebook is getting very desperate right now. It's like a desert. My 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 times. So that's probably my problem, my yeah. newsfeed. But what I see is people are leaving. I, I don't think uh, Facebook has uh has has public their has publicized their uh, user time for a while actually. Um I think they have they see that problem as well. So, I don't know. I spend more time on Twitter right now. Um so I, I think Facebook is more social network in general is more like fashion. Hmm. It comes and goes. And people go to the new things because it's shiny. People jump to Facebook because Facebook was very exciting. And then they move to Instagram because Instagram is very exciting. Hmm. Now, then they move to Snap or TikTok because those are very exciting. So do you feel like social media, uh, it's difficult to get a monopoly there because people just go where it's exciting? Or what? Like, how would you explain so few social media companies and such strong consolidation over the past 10 years? Yeah, I think it's it's the scale. Okay. It's basically, <clears throat> I think it's, and it's, it, it is centralizing more and more. So Facebook is the first thing, first one that centralized all the, uh, the uh, identification of person. Yeah. Identity, basically. Um, so everybody now has a Facebook account. If for nothing else, just to, reach someone, right? Just to send an email, do a business invitation or something, use Facebook because it, it's a Rolodex of the internet. Um, and that's that's because of the scale. Before that, we never uh, imagined such things could happen. Uh, for example, like MySpace or in Taiwan, like Wuming Xiaozhan, mm-hmm. the idea was very personal. It's my personal page. It's like a blog. And I think uh, Facebook was actually the first one to understand that the uh, identity and their and the intercommunication between the identities are an important thing. It's not your personal page at all. Um, so that's uh, their breakthrough, and it, and it's a genuine breakthrough. Um, so yeah, but I, I honestly don't think I, like Instagram. I could see Instagram getting bigger than face, Facebook as well. That's why they bought them. I think that's why they bought them. Yeah. yeah. So that's a problem. So like like 
acquisition and then expanding your and, and then eliminating your uh, competi- competitor. That goes okay. back to my so, statement. So we're, 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 kills innovation. I think we're kind of saying the same thing, but from a different. So I think you're speaking to the product Facebook, mm-hmm. whereas I'm speaking to the company Facebook. The like, group, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like once you have this property that is kicking off all of this money and you can buy up everything else that's your competitor. Right, so you're not supposed to buy out. I think that's what at least antitrust can, comes in, is that to limit that. So, and I, and so the antitrust view is that you can be a monopoly. That's not illegal. That's right, yeah. But you can't abuse your monopoly power. Yes. So eliminating competitor is uh, an abuse of uh, monopoly power, at least in the Europe. In the United States, it's less so, but it's this is a getting mainstream view that you cannot buy out your competitor if you're a monopoly. If you're not, you can't. Okay, right. so I think, okay, so, okay, so, okay. So, so, so your comment about Facebook being a strong monopoly is just that, like, there's not that strong, but but you're not saying anything about like they're extremely antitrust in their behavior, like buying all their competition, crushing anybody that uses their API. Um, like, I get it now, right? So, so yeah, yeah. So I think they should have heightened scrutiny now, mm-hmm. than much more now than when they bought Instagram, because at that time they were not monopoly. Nobody think. Instagram uh, or Facebook at that time. That was 2006 or something. Yeah, no, I, I, like when they bought Instagram, like for a billion dollars, like I think anybody yeah. that knew yeah. this stuff would be like, my God, you can't do that. Okay, so yeah, yeah, so so that's. I mean, they paid a billion dollars. Like that, that's insane. No, right? right, but at that time you have Warner Media. You have you have this whole conglomerate media company out there. It's not proven that they can challenge those companies, right? They don't have that much advertisement more dollars than they do. So, I mean, you're probably smart to, to at that time, realize that was a good problem. I think most people were actually laughing at them, saying, why would you pay $1 billion for that? Why would you pay $16 billion for WhatsApp when they only have 55, 55 engineers? So it's... it's and- I mean, but, but, but what matters here is not most people. What matters here is the regulators, you know, the FTC, the FCC, like these are the people that should be like, wait a second, why is this company spending a billion dollars for 20 million users, whatever right. it was at the time? Yeah, yeah. so so it's like um, it's like two hamburger store, like saying, I'm going to buy out this hamburger store that's next door to me. It's my competitor. Yeah. The FTC is not going to say anything because it's just two stores. It isn't, it's not monopoly, at, at least in their view. But if, it, it's, if it's McDonald's buying Burger King, that's a problem. Right? But that's what it was. Well, so, so I mean, Facebook was McDonald's. I mean, and, and they, they were buying well, this. Well, at that time, Warner Media, you know, these huge uh-huh. traditional media, they are the McDonald's. These are two, like, garage um, kids. They're, they're, they're big garage kids, but they're still, in the, in the grand scheme of things, they're just the internet, Silicon Valley people. Yeah, but not if you understand growth. I mean, um, Instagram was hitting an exponential at that time. And so, right. so, so if you have one company growing exponentially and kind of leveling off, which was Facebook then, and then there's this other thing growing exponentially, like at a faster exponential than Facebook. I mean, you got to understand exponentials. This is all technology is about. Right. But they were not making any money <laughs> at that time. That's the view, right? So you got your, you, how do you make money? How do you do that? Okay. I, so this goes to the problem with American monopolies is that America doesn't know how to do antitrust for things that are free. That's, um, well, yeah. I think we're looking at 
two or more timelines here. One is regulators who base their future casting ideas on their past experiences. So in their past, they have never seen two companies offering free services and products being able to monopolize the digital world or the social world. And then the other timeline is for a technologist. For example, the two of you and people in Facebook and Instagram, they understand that demographic is super important, it's a valuable asset, and someone somehow will figure out how to monetize this asset. And what we're doing is that we have to acquire that asset before it gets too expensive. And then someone somehow did figure out, which is Sheryl Sonderberg from Google. <laughs> so she figured out how to um, realize social advertising. And then, boom, yeah. they started making money. And at that, at that time, people view Facebook very fondly, right? Instagram very fondly. We don't, I mean, we nobody know. I mean, I think Mark Zuckerberg didn't realize at that time that, you know, it's going to result in so many chaos and all that, in this, you know, massacre, whatever, genocide in you know, these countries. Nobody understand that. So people were encouraging these sort of Silicon Valley kids to take on those televisions, those media conglomerates. It's a different... It, it's a different time, basically. So, but I, I do agree that now we understand more, right? We, we, we've been through it now. We understand the internet. We understand uh, this, uh, all this, you know, exponential growth and all that. We, we sort of get the sense, and I think your, your point about America and antitrust is uh, true, that before they don't think free is a problem. Even, yeah. yeah it, as long as you create value in cons customer and consumers, then it's all good. Yeah. And the Europeans, they take a more competition-oriented view. They they care more about your competitors instead of the consumers. Um, so maybe the United States will adopt this view and uh, or have an, a, a newer model of antitrust. Um, uh, yeah. So so that's probably uh, uh, we will see the Biden administration. They have a strong feeling on antitrust. So maybe they'll. I, I'm sure they will actually act more on uh, to develop new uh, frameworks for antitrust. So we can go really deep into all of this stuff. And I don't think we really got down to like the bare metal of what's going on here. But I actually, it might help to go pop up a few levels. And why should people even care about, say, Facebook or Google abusing their monopoly? Like, why does it matter? I think it still matters to everyone. So I think monopoly exposes what the existing environments, the shortcoming of the existing environments. And then after each monopoly, usually the regulator, the government comes in and to fix these or to make a new environment. And then that will, that will create a new type of monopoly that, you know, that optimize for that environment. And then again, the government and with the, 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 the public's, you know, sort of fight back We'll create another one. So you see in the United States, you have steel monopoly, you have railroad monopoly, you have telecom monopoly, you have all that. It, it's gone through all these phase finance monopoly, and now we're at the internet monopoly. And my, my, my prediction is that this monopoly is going to be, just like the previous monopolies, it's going to be sort of uh, swallowed by the government. It will become a sort of a registered or a special we call it charters industry. Like, so there are going to be some new kinds of license that a new 
um, sort of maybe NCC, some kind of that we had FTC. We have all these um, like the C's. FDA. FDA. There's yeah. gonna new one, and there's gonna new type of license. There's gonna new regulation. Like you have to show me your algorithm, right? You have to do audit. You have to otherwise you don't get license. You know, it's a way of of getting accountability into these new monopolies. Um, it's that's how it used to work, and I I think it's gonna um, work out this way as well. Um, maybe there is some new development, but um, in general, I think it's just to. I think the important thing is to make the monopolies accountable uh, to the public that fit in this at least this general framework of you know government democracy. Um, I think that's how it used to work, and I, I think that's in the short to midterm. That's how how it's going to develop. But who is actually going to hold these big tech companies accountable? Like who has standing in court? Well, as well, once it's the uh, once there is a something the new something CC that starts, then it's the uh, the the government that it's on behalf of the people that can. But which government? Push it. it has to be yeah. America. So that's a good question. That's related to uh, the jurisdiction, right? So in Taiwan, uh, it's not going to be. It's it's generally pretty beneficial that the internet is controlled by the United States from Taiwan standpoint right now. But we all also see we will see their divergence of interests at some point. Like so, um, but Taiwan is sort of in this situation is sort of like a colonized, I would say, a colonized country in terms that we are not self sovereign in terms of our in internet infrastructure. And so, how do you um, how do you manage that? That's that has always been a problem for a small country like ours. Um, it's never easy. It's uh, there's diplomacy, there's involved, there's lobbying involved, and there's just general hustle to to maintain that uh, relationship. Um, uh, because we don't imagine ourselves being like China, like we have a firewall, we have the whole stack of infra uh, technology infrastructure. That's probably not um, possible. So it's never been an easy question. It will never be. But it's uh, important thing is we understand it that. This is our status, and how do we approach that? So, if America goes and regulates and creates, I don't know, whatever, like the Federal Data Association or something, whatever this is, right? I guess FDA is already taken, but whatever they create to go regulate these guys, is that the end of the open internet in your mind? Um, yeah, I do think so. I think, I think, uh, probably, maybe, hopefully. Blockchain will take that torch and, and march on, but uh, we we've seen right now we're seeing what the open internet the ideal it has a lot of side effects it has it has a lot of appeal, and we all experience that so that is that is still in our memory we're gonna cherish it and we're gonna try to push for that in the future but I think that wild wild west internet is gone and it's uh, and because we understand its limits right now so we're so the the duty is to now build a new ideal, um, and and then hopefully we'll see that the limit of that in like twenty years time. All right, that's a good way to end. <laughs> twenty years time, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I do want to pick that up one of these days with you, and I'd love to actually um, understand about what, like, how would you see this blockchain internet such that. You know these basic rights—the things that lawyers like to encode in things—could actually be, be a future that we wouldn't have to fix maybe for twenty or thirty or forty years. Yeah, that will be a fascinating. All right. <laughs> yeah. Cool.
Hope to have you back. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you for the conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, my name is Michael Chow, and I think the hope is the fact that humans we always are able to collaborate and develop institutions and processes to deal with these kind of problems. So I think in the future, people will not think or act alone; they will connect it to each other to face this problem together. Podcast is brought to you by Bitmark and Girls in Tech Taiwan. So Bitmark、uh, was founded from the belief that data is the next major asset class, and so what Bitmark does is create tools for individuals to gain control and access over their data, and eventually unlock all kinds of new value in that data. Girls in Tech Taiwan is the Taiwan chapter of a global nonprofit focused on the engagement, education, and empowerment of influential women in technology and entrepreneurship.